Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. I am your host, Jared White. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. Hello. Hard at work, training for a marathon, which is something I probably will never want to do in my life, so I'm, I'm really uh, really proud of you for this, Dom. Can't imagine what it's like to run a marathon. <laughs> yeah, and I'm questioning why I'm making myself do this silly thing. <laughs> uh episode 255 we got plenty to talk about today including the inevitable uh closure of google stadia as well as a couple of things that we missed in terms of game announcements and a follow-up to a story we talked about a while ago um that kind of caught me by surprise in terms of the results of that new story but let's get started first off let's talk about this iron man game that was announced uh this happened during uh last week we didn't record last week uh on an official blog post on EA's website, they revealed that Motive Studio is early in development on a single-player third-person action-adventure game starring the millionaire genius playboy Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. Uh, it specifically states, quote, Developed in collaboration with Marvel Games, the game will feature an original narrative that taps into the rich history of Iron Man, channeling the complexity, charisma, and creative genius of Tony Stark, and enabling players to feel what it's like to truly play as Iron Man. The blog ends with an interesting line, Quote, this is an exciting new collaboration between Marvel and Electronic Arts, with Iron Man being the first of several new games. This lends credence to the rumors of the Black Panther open world game from EA, and EA's Iron Man game was also rumored for some time before officially being announced via this blog post. So I want to talk about this real quick for a couple of reasons. First, it seems like um, Motive is already hard at work on this. It's an early development, which is good because they're about to come to the end of the development for the Dead Space remake they're the studio behind that as well which is set to release what january 13th or something like that early january yeah. uh, of next january, year which, february oh yeah that sounds right yeah which is super exciting can't wait to get our hands on that following the clist of protocol this december um i'm glad this is confirmed you know ever since uh anthem debuted their gameplay segment uh, regardless of how that game ended up turning out which wasn't great everyone was like whoa this looks like an iron man game like if we could get an iron man game with this physics engine and the way these suits move that would be great and i wonder to some extent if ea maybe heard the rumblings of that and eventually were like yeah anthem isn't it let's get a studio to make an iron man game which is pretty cool um the funny thing to me dom being the more comics uh adjacent person of the two of us is it's always funny to me when it says like on the in this paragraph taps into the rich history of iron man sure there's a, a, tons of awesome history for iron man as a comic book character throughout the years but I think in hindsight, what people forget to realize is that before the first Iron Man movie in the late aughts, Iron Man wasn't like a A-tier Marvel hero. Really? He wasn't the X-Men. He wasn't like, yeah, he was kind of on the back burner. Like he was, he had his fans, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't not arguably the most popular core Avenger, maybe right. second to the Hulk. But yeah, like Iron Man wasn't the, the thing. It's that, you're, that's I'm glad you bring that up because yeah I am of that ignorant crowd because it's like the Avengers to me is that yeah Iron Man and then Iron Man Captain America kind of together and then and then the rest really <laughs> exactly and it was it was honestly it was Marvel's solution to not having the X Men not having the rights to Hulk at that time there was a lot of things that kind of were like you know not having Spider Man. And they're like, well, let's position Iron Man because he is, for better or worse, Marvel's Batman, right? In terms of it being kind of like a dual identity thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see what this is. I think he's a very interesting character. Um, 
I wonder, I hope this game leans more mature based on a lot of the alcoholism and other stuff, uh, like traumatic stuff that he has to deal with throughout his life. Um, I do hope they also tackle, which is one of my favorite aspects of good Iron Man stories, Dom, is when he morally grapples with the fact that he, at, you know, at the beginning of his journey, when he takes over Stark Industries, he basically supplies products of war, right? Like, he just supplies everyone. doesn't matter good or bad. Obviously, that also has a lot to do with perspective. And he has to come to terms with that, that he creates these weapons. And it's ultimately he who feels he has to stop those weapons from doing damage. So it's, it's an interesting story, and I'm hoping that uh, they, they nail it there. And the other thing is that, yeah, with the, the Iron Man game being rumored for all this time and it being officially announced, I do think this... I mean, it doesn't all but confirm it, but I think there's a strong case that the Black Panther open world game is probably real too, right? Yeah, that that feels right. If, especially, do we know if like these rumors came from the same place, or is it that kind of just good? Good question. I, I didn't do any research yeah. to see if they came from the same person, but they both sprung about about the same time. Like they kind of mention each other often. Of like, not only is the Black Panther game in development, but also there's an Iron Man game, and the other one would be like, there's an Iron Man game, but also there's a Black Panther. You know what I mean? But I don't know if they came directly from the same source. But even in the fact that the blog says the first of several new games, like mm -hmm. uh, also off the heels of the Skydance Entertainment announcement, it's like you don't want right. to muddy up one Black Panther featured game with another one. Um, and honestly, it'd be a better pop closer to maybe the release of the new Black Panther movie, which looks phenomenal. Either way, I'm excited to have more Marvel games. Uh, I was I tweeted actually that I hope my one wish for Insomniac Games Wolverine game Dom because I know it's going to be good. I know they're going to give me a bunch of stuff that I don't even know I want, but I'll love in the moment. We have yet to see the classic Wolverine versus Hulk fight in any medium outside of animated shows or movies. Like we haven't gotten in the MCU because obviously Marvel recently got the rights to Wolverine, um, and we haven't gotten any games in a major way in this new era of Marvel games. I'm sure there's like a licensed game from the mid aughts that had them fighting each other. But in terms of the new triple a budgeted Marvel games, we haven't gotten that. And I'd love that because from what Marvel games has stated, each of these developers have free reign of the Marvel universe as they see fit. And I wouldn't be surprised if insomnia games approach to Marvel games was like, Hey, could we use Hulk in our game? And sure, why not? And I think that'd be really cool. Uh, maybe, obviously, maybe you don't control them, and it's a boss fight to some extent. But I think that'd be dope. What about you? Uh, absolutely. I didn't know that there was such a classic fight. Um, yeah. So these these two guys tend to not get along. It sounds like. Um, well, they both but... have crazy healing factors, which make the fights interesting. Mm -hmm. The stature difference, right? Wolverine being a very small individual, Hulk being a very large individual. Vis like just visually them two fighting each other is really funny because it's like a, a little kid fighting an adult in some ways. Um, and yeah, if you just Google Hulk versus Wolverine, um, the amount of fan art and actual comic book art and comic storylines and miniseries, it's a long, long thing that has been going on in comics for a long time. Like anybody who's a fan of Hulk like we'll talk about wanting to see him versus Wolverine. It's the opposite to anybody who's like a diehard comic fan of Wolverine wants to see his fight with Hulk as well as like even Deadpool, which the new recent announcement of uh, Hugh Jackman coming back as Wolverine and Deadpool three is really exciting. Yeah. I'm just, I'm happy we're in this place with video games, uh, having 
high quality huge. superhero games huge. in a major way. Huge. I can't do it as well as Ryan. Coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is really funny because now we're also starting to see video games bleeding to entertainment in a real and meaningful way, which who would have known Sonic would be the uh the core <laughs> person there driving that home with with good movies. At least there has to be some point of entertainment where Sonic outdoes Mario and you know, fingers crossed the Mario Illumination movie is good, but it might be the case where Sonic edges him out in the movies. So I think it's coming up next week. Uh, I don't know if it's just a teaser or a full trailer or something for that movie. It was supposed to come out, and oh man, if I'm not nervous to hear Chris Pratt. Yeah, like out of the the funny thing is the rest of the cast is pretty ridiculous in terms of matching the personalities of the characters, but most yeah. of them I like them and I'm confident that they'll nail it. I think Charlie Day is the one I think which could be hit or miss, but even if it's horrible, it'll probably still be hilarious. But like uh, Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong, I think is inspired. Jack Black mm-hmm. is Bowser, is phenomenal. Anya Taylor Joy is Peach, makes sense. I could yeah, see, it's a Chris Pratt thing. Yeah, I could see Jack Black doing half these characters to be honest, and it would be great. True, yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael Keegan Key being Toad. Uh, and the funny thing is, from a talent perspective, I do think Chris Pratt is a good voice actor. Uh, if you've seen Upward or any of his other stuff where he's done animated or voiceover work, he's good. It's First of all, all the controversy surrounding him in his personal life, which is a bit uh, disturbing, but also the fact that like Mario isn't necessarily somebody who talks, and we assume he's going to have an Italian accent, and is Chris Pratt the person to bring that to life? And then the other layer of like Charles Martinet is still alive. He is the voice of Mario. If you are going to go with an authentic Mario voice, why wouldn't you go with the guy who does his voice, which is also weird? Um I don't know. It, it's a whole Funny, thing. I guess. We'll, we'll talk about... Uh, I mean, one of the theories is that it's actually a Jumanji situation where it's real people that get thrown into the video game and voice the characters, uh-huh. um, which would then make sense why Charles Martinet is also in the cast, but not as Mario, because maybe he voices the video game version, but then when all of them get thrown right. in... Yeah, I wish it also clever. make sense. Who knows? Uh, we'll talk about the trailer next week when it uh, reveals itself. I'm sure it'll be a point of discussion on the podcast. Another video game announcement we had, Dumb, is Wild Hearts. This one's weird because in the matter of 48 hours, it went from this game being rumored to be announced to it being announced to having its release date happening in February of next year, which is wild. So, uh, did you see this at all, or is this news to you? So, Wild Hearts was rumored to be EA's competitor to Monster Hunter, which was kind of surprising. And the key art that got leaked showed... Uh, a wolf, like a fantasy wolf that very much is reminiscent of uh, Blade from, or Blyde from uh, Elden Ring to me in terms of the way the wolf looks. Uh, it looks like a wolf. Uh, but what ended up happening is EA Originals has teamed up with Koei Tecmo to publish their new Monster Hunter competitor taking place in a fantasy world largely inspired by Feudal Japan. It's set to release on February 17th, uh, 2023. It looked interesting. It's in a weird place, though, Don, because we don't know if the Monster Hunter genre is popular enough to support games outside of that. We had that free-to-play one that came out a couple of years ago. I can't remember the name of, which might be indicative yeah. of the point I'm trying to make here. Um, but it's unclear if Monster Hunter is wildly popular because it's built that community over the decades of Monster Hunter existing, or if it's a genre that's untapped by competitors taking it serious. This game looks fun. It's in, it's it, it's weird that it's part of EA Originals. It's probably the biggest budget EA Originals game we've seen so far. The track record of that program, though, is pretty hit. Few misses. 
Um, so I, I wonder what the plan is here with Koei Tecmo. I don't remember if they stated if it's going to be free to play or a full purchase. Um, but yeah, just it's weird that it came out of nowhere. There's also rumors that need for a new Need for Speed is coming out this December. There's a lot of weird stuff happening this year with like EA and Ubisoft and these companies where they're like even the thing we just talked about with the Iron Man game being announced. Uh, like they're not doing presentations, but they're not doing full on reveals or announcements of these game. Or if they are, it's like at the last moment. And I don't know if that has to do with the uncertainty with game development in the post-COVID era or what exactly is happening. Very odd. Um, yeah. And maybe this is just a byproduct of EA not having their, what is what do they call their EA, their E3 presentation play, every year? Like yeah. That. So it's just a bunch of scattered announcements and maybe contractually they had to announce Wild Hearts because of the Koei Tecmo partnership. I don't know. The game looks cool though. I'm excited to see how it does and. In a world where we still don't have Monster Hunter World 2, which would get me excited, Dom, I might end up popping into this because I have been wanting to get back into Monster Hunter, and the Nintendo Switch ones are very much more for the hardcore part of Monster Hunter, and with World, as I talked about, it was much more newcomer-friendly, um, and I've been waiting for a sequel, and it just hasn't come, so I don't know what Capcom's doing there, but hopefully this maybe scratches that itch for a lot of PlayStation and Xbox gamers like me who liked Monster Hunter World and want to get back into it, but don't want to invest into the hardcore Switch experience, which is what Monster Hunter Rise, I believe, with like its Sunbreak expansion and all that. So, yeah, I, so I've I've been watching the trailer just now for the first time, and there's something the way it looks, I just like it better than Monster Hunter games. Something about Monster Hunter games always kind of felt, I don't know, not not childish, but sort of. Uh, simple in a weird way way the characters move or something i don't know but yeah this game looks it's much really more cool. monster Hunter is much more anime if that makes sense maybe that's in some what ways. it is yeah. yeah um but yeah this game looks really cool obviously that that wolf um and all the all the art looks incredible but all the just the the art style is just a little bit feels a little bit more mature or something about it just looks more appealing and then the setting too is pretty cool um but yeah this is interesting and you know, who knows what why EA is, is doing things the way they're doing with their announcements and stuff. That's curious because, yeah, this and then the, the Iron Man game, um, just that, you know, throw in the, the Jedi Fallen Order or Jedi Survivor game and probably some other stuff. If, if there was a Need for Speed game too, like this, that would have been a heck of an EA E3 uh, presentation just there. Um, so, yeah, maybe they had some weird contractual stuff that threw that off or they just, who knows what the deal was with that, but certainly doesn't seem like they're lacking um, cool stuff that they're making and planning on releasing soon. So, including this one, because yeah, I never got into any of the Monster Hunters. I I tried. They had some demos. Um, even the Switch game has a demo, and I don't know. It, it just never clicked for me. But uh, I'd be willing to give this a, a try too, especially if we could uh, go on it together. I would assume that like Monster Hunter, and from the trailer, it looked like there was a multiplayer component to this. I would, I would assume that that's the case. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I I think a lot of these Western publishers might be wondering, like, see the sales numbers for Monster Hunter. And for EA, this might be a, a good shot to take a, a chance on it because if this ends up blowing up and becoming a franchise, then EA can, you know, give it a bigger budget and partner with Koei Tecmo even more for a sequel or mm -hmm. expansions or whatever happens there. So I think it's a safe bet for them. And yeah, from announcement to turnaround... What, what is it? It's September, and it's this thing's coming out in February. That's wild. I mean, we're virtually October at this point. That's like, what, October, November, December, like three or four-month turnaround from 
announcement to release. That's kind of crazy. Especially for EA, I feel like usually they want to give at least a year or a couple years. Um, yeah, and the fact this is a Koei Tecmo game and we didn't see it at uh, Tokyo Game Show at all either. Very weird. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Speaking of Japan, though, uh, we have a, a follow-up on the whole Japan Studio Team Asobi update. Do you remember when, in April of this year, PlayStation shut down Japan Studio and then they said oh. that they'd migrate people over to Team Asobo? Mm-hmm. Or Asobi, sorry. Um, well, we basically have an update on that. Uh, so following the closure of Japan Studio, who is responsible for Ape Escape, Gravity Rush, I think they're even a support studio for Bloodborne, um, in April of 2022, it was believed that many of its members transitioned over to Team Asobi. As it turns out, out of the 100-plus employees formerly of Japan Studio, it is now being reported that only around 25 of them went to Team Asobi. Uh, and it goes into, this report went into how a lot of them landed at a bunch of other studios, which is good, but it talks about how Japan and its relationship to PlayStation is in a weird place in terms of developer relationships because a lot of these studio, uh, studio employees are no longer working at PlayStation uh partnered studios after their departure and uh if you remember when they closed japan studio a part of that playstation basically talked about how they want to have a lot of their japanese uh support for the platform be through third-party partnerships and not so much internally anymore very interesting stuff um we've seen obviously the discussions of playstation wanting to be a more western centric uh company alongside this stuff with japanese developers they're in a weird place um, because Japan was so central to what PlayStation is. And at this point, I don't know. It's very weird, this whole update and everything. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it'd be a nice follow-up because it is surprising that the assumption was that most of them were going to transition over Dom and less than 25% like, did. I would have assumed like probably around half or something. Because yeah. there's always, whenever something like that would happen, like, you imagine that comes with some changes, um, whether it's the location, um, what you know, different new opportunities offered from other companies, all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So like, it, they, you know, people are basically kind of given a choice, like, you know, or maybe maybe some of them weren't though too. I guess um, you know weren't given the option to join Team Sobi or not. Maybe um, maybe they just wanted, maybe they just extended that opportunity to like certain parts of uh, Studio Japan or something. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's. That is less than I, I would have thought based on the story from however long ago when we first heard about it. But at the end of the day, like what you can look at it of is um, Sony lost, you know, 75% of the talent that they had, basically, right? That's yeah. takeaway, for better or worse, um, or whether that fits their strategy of, yeah, trying to be have more Western developers or what. I don't know. Um, it sounds like weird potentially a bummer one of those things of like why bite the hand that feeds you kind of thing i don't know it's very odd uh, but you know playstation playstation has many very odd uh choices over the last couple of years a story we're not even going to talk about today is the whole playstation stars program basically saying like hey if you're a member you'll have better customer support which is wild in and of its own right uh yeah just very a lot of odd decisions speaking of odd decisions well maybe this one isn't so odd it was kind of going to happen regardless Google shuts down Google Stadia. So most of the info provided in this is by Jay Peters over at The Verge. Please go read his article. It's called Google is shutting down Stadia. Pretty straightforward there. Um, So after three years of struggling to find a dedicated player base for the impressive cloud-based gaming platform, 
Google's Google has officially announced the shutting down of Google Stadia, effective January 18th, 2023. Google will be refunding all Stadia hardware purchased through the Google Store, as well as all the games and add-on content purchased from the Stadia Store. Google expects those refunds will be completed in mid-January. I want to do one more. I want to say, uh, read one more thing from the official blog post, and then we can talk about it a bit, Dom. And then I have some comments from around the industry from people regarding Google Stadia. So, Stadia Vice President and GM Phil Harrison said in a blog post. Quote, and while Stadia's approach to streaming games for consumers was built on a strong technology foundation, it hasn't gained the traction with users that we expected, so we've made the difficult decision to begin winding down our Stadia streaming service. Unquote. I added this in. It's important to note that Phil Harrison also played a critical role in the launch and rollout of both the PlayStation 3 and Xbox One consoles, both seen as historic low points for both Sony and Microsoft. Employees on the Stadia team will now be distributed to other parts of the company. I don't want to like focus too much on a specific guy, but um, I'm sure he has some good knowledge and experience. But you're batting over three, man, and if you get another huge opportunity like this, uh, I don't know. It feels like you have some kind of special privilege, my dude, and some sort of nepotism going on because having just having been given this opportunity after. Know, your previous two projects they haven't gone the way they went be like how much money this must have cost google right that they they sunk into this and having to do, do all these refunds this was a huge like just waste of freaking money and especially when the technology was strong he was right when he said that for sure um but that we've all complained about the format and the way they're selling things just was not gonna work out well we all predicted it right um I said it maybe it lasted a little longer. They try to hold on, but um, yeah, um, yes, we all kind of saw it coming, well, especially after they shut down their own studios that they had started up after like a year or something or two years. Like that, that was kind of the the writing on the wall before this. But man, it's kind of a it's kind of a bummer in a way because I think competition is good for you know I think it's good in general to have more platforms and things like that. But they just, they made weird decisions. I think we can all agree. But how they're part of their games. problem is it was unclear who they were even trying to compete with, right? I think that was part of the issue too. Um, we, they also obviously pulled out of the publishing deals with High on Life from Squanch Games and The Quarry from Supermassive as well. Um, you know, this obviously doesn't fall solely on Phil Harrison. There was a lot of hands in this cookie jar in terms of why this failed. But, and to your point, yeah, you don't want to blame one person necessarily and History is full of white dudes who fail upward, though, too, Don. Exactly. Unfortunately. <laughs> that, that was kind of where I was going with that. Yeah. Um, again, I'm sure he's probably a lot smarter than me, but if, if you know, <laughs> if, like, Apple <laughs> announces a gaming console and a whole division and publishing unit and all this stuff, and they put this guy in charge of it, I'm you just throw your arms up. Like, there's got to be someone better, more qualified, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I mean... I don't have numbers for this, but I would put money on the fact that, statistically speaking, charisma and nepotism part probably play a larger role in people ascending companies than actual intelligence. Um, right. Yeah. Not as much of a meritocracy out there as some people might have you think. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I wanted to go to these comments from around the industry because they all talk about different aspects of it. But I have something from Jason Schreier talking about the specifics of Stadia's investments. I have something from Tom Warren kind of defending Stadia to, to an extent. And I also have some, another one defending Stadia to some extent. 
So the first one is from Jason Schreier, uh, at Jason Schreier on Twitter, from Bloomberg, obviously. He, uh, he states, quote, I reported this last year at Bloomberg, but the amount of money Google spent to get games on Stadia is so shocking that I still can hardly believe it. Even after corroborating with multiple sources tens of millions of dollars per game for Red Dead 2, Assassin's Creed, etc. So obviously there, they're sinking a bunch of money into these games and not finding the player base there had to have hurt them. Google obviously has unlimited cash resources, but at the end of the day, there's profit margins that need to be met in. You got to cut the, the, the dying uh, extremity, right? Because Stadia th- wasn't just like a PC. It was its own platform, and games had to be developed for it. So, yeah. yeah. It wasn't just like they could just move Red Dead to it. They had to do development work for that and all the other games. So that's a good point. Um, that's a huge cost. That we... <laughs> a follow-up to in terms of investing, this story came out recently. A sequel spinoff to Death Stranding was apparently also in development in a partnership with Google and Kojima Productions but was ultimately canceled reportedly due to the single-player nature of the game. This isn't too surprising because before the official announcement of Kojima working with Xbox and their cloud technology, it was rumored that he actually shopped a cloud-based game to Luna, uh, Amazon's service, as well as Google Stadia, so this makes sense. Um, It's funny that Google Stadia was the one canceling a game for it being single-player and no longer EA, which is uh, hilarious. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have something from Tom Warren of The Verge. Um, he said, in a, this was in a reply to a headline uh, that on Twitter that read, Google Stadia never mattered and it never had a chance. His response, quote, hard disagree. Google Stadia mattered a lot. It was key to Bungie continuing Destiny 2 development during the pandemic. It was key in pushing Microsoft to launch Xbox Cloud Gaming. Stadia might have failed, but it definitely had an impact, end quote. Yeah. yeah. Which I thought was pretty interesting and. Um, obviously the X cloud, uh, Xbox cloud gaming thing is pretty apparent. And we know about that of like, yeah, these industries, these people working on these technologies kind of push each other to create the best product. And that's always best for consumers. The destiny two thing I really didn't think about because yeah, that's when they went independent before they got purchased. A bunch of got purchased by PlayStation or Sony. And yeah, I wonder if the investment, whether how much it was as according to Jason Schreier, tens of millions to get that on the platform, we might not have Destiny 2 today if it wasn't for that. So in some ways, Google Stadia kind of uh, took the bill for, for everyone who wanted to continue seeing Destiny 2 and so Bungie. So. All the money, like you mentioned Red Dead earlier, so all the money Google paid to these studios to move their games you know, into Stadia, which uh, is kind of a nice little stimulus for the rest of the industry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for better or worse. And then lastly, Tony Polanco, who writes over at Tom's Guide, he's at Romu Death on Twitter. He said, quote, people are taking the Stadia news as a sign that cloud gaming doesn't work. GeForce Now and Xbox Cloud Gaming prove otherwise. The issue isn't with cloud gaming. It's with Stadia's horrible business model. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Uh, from the first day, me and you got to try the beta for, for Google Stadia. Remember when we played Odyssey and how yeah. uh, how amazing it was and how it just worked? I, I, I think that's... Of- a- Assassin's Creed Odyssey through it was beta at the time, so I didn't have the name, but eighty some hours or whatever, and it was phenomenal. Um, the whole game I played, it was great, it worked well. And that's the thing is, I don't think the point of this is no one ever questioned the actual technology, right? Like the cloud gaming stuff, it just worked and it was phenomenal. The problem was is that everything surrounding that was a failure, full of poor decisions, and honestly, it has to do a lot with. Gamers are loyal to a fault in many ways, as yeah. well as just humans in general. 
Um, this is very apparent in the fact that people complain about downloading a game off of Epic Game Store and not Steam when it's just a different launcher that you have to download for your your computer. So to take that another extent and be like, oh no, this is another separate PC platform and you're not sure how long it's going to last and are, how long are you going to have ownership of your games? It's not tied to something you've had before. It's part of a company who has a history of canceling things. Like if you can't get people to download games off of Epic Game Store, having people go the extra mile for Google Stadia, I think the, the writing was in the sand, man. And it's like when they just basically only sold games at like the retail prices, they, they Ooh, gave yeah. away some with their pro subscription or whatever, but it was like the equivalent of PlayStation Plus or games with gold. Um, I don't think there were any, like, I think Destiny, of course, came with it. Um, and a few of those that games that are, like, in general, more free-to-play multiplayers type things. But, like, you still had to, if you wanted to buy Red Dead, you had to pay 60 bucks, Or it maybe went on sale for, like, 40 sometimes. But who was, and there, like, all those people that warned, like, well, you're going to pay $60, you own it on Stadia. But then, like, what happens when Stadia goes away? Now, luckily, they're refunding you. But that, that felt like the farthest thing from ownership. Um, obviously, even buying from the PSN or Xbox digitally, you don't technically own it either, but it feels at least a little bit closer um, than Stadia, this brand new There's thing. a history there of you having access to those games for yeah. years on end. Yeah, there's some, there's more precedence, and yeah, that history helps a lot. Um, whereas, I actually think uh, for Amazon Luna, it's it's set up better. I don't, you don't hear much about it, and I'm not even sure how much, what they have on there for games, but it's just an additional subscription service. I, mean, I think it's like, five dollars or something if you already have prime it's pretty cheap um and then you just get access to their list of games and that's it end of story so it's more like game pass in that sense cloud only though now i don't maybe they might have other issues i've not tested that or see how well theirs works but i think that's probably the better business model especially for amazon stuff where like people have you know all these other things tacked on to their prime memberships already um music and i don't know there's all sorts of things but I think that is already a little bit better of a business model than what Stadia was trying to do. Well, and even Microsoft with their, their Azure cloud servers, which even PlayStation has invested in using now too. Mm -hmm. It's like, it just, Microsoft it's a bummer. Microsoft is at it, for sure. Exactly. Like, and you you wonder if Google's just going to piecemeal this stuff out and sell it, right? Because that seems like the best bet of like, yeah, the technology works. Just turn a profit mm -hmm. on it that way. Um, we'll see what happens. It. it it's a bummer in the sense of like, I appreciate when companies are willing to do new things in the gaming space and try to introduce something new. Like if that, if no one ever did that, we wouldn't have gotten Xbox. We wouldn't even gotten PlayStation, right? It would just been Nintendo and Sega somehow maybe. Um, so I'm always happy that these companies try this stuff, but there's a, there's a breaking point And I don't know if we'll see Google try to venture into gaming in a real way for a while. And it's even unclear with Amazon Luna how much they're even invested in making that a thing. Right. We also have the controversy like surrounding Twitch right now. It's like, what is Amazon's focus really at this point? Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. You know, for every uh, Xbox console, there's always the Ouya. So well, <laughs> for every Xbox gaming or Amazon Luna, there's a Stadia, unfortunately. And it feels like it's also too an element is like there is a big waste of time for a lot of people. Like yeah like like what jade raymond had a studio like set up and all who knows what kind of projects like in the pipeline and, and haven't been worked on and didn't even like um amy henning have something going for 
Stadia 2, or did I make this up? Uh, her list of unfortunate events it, is and, like a Lemony Snicket book out. And, and so, <laughs> like, picture, like, like accepting these jobs and, like, getting all this this sponsorship and funding and stuff, like, you this big project, and then, like, then it's just, like, no, it's all done. Like, that would suck. And then you have to basically, all that's trashed, and you probably can't bring much of it with you, and, like, maybe some of the talent follows you, but, like, it's just, it was just all for nothing, and I don't know, that's a bummer, too, like, wasted time and wasted energy and probably people burning out and just getting sick of stuff like i want people to be able to make the shit they want to make and it come out and people get to play it and enjoy it and it gets a chance as a consumer i don't know i'll tell you this much the next thing phil harrison's attached to if there's a betting for the under i'm taking it (laughs) (laughs) yeah he man that guy's track record is the opposite of good um Let's talk about what we've been playing recently. I got a an interesting one for you, Dom. So, in this point where I'm waiting for a Plague Tale Requiem to come out, obviously mm-hmm. we're waiting for God of War in a couple of months. I'm, you know, pittering, pattering around. I'm playing my Fortnites. I'm playing my Rocket Leagues, all of the whatever, whatever. Like, what should I hop into? Pop open Xbox Game Pass, and I'm like, what looks intriguing? And this is a game you're going to have to Google because when I explain the gameplay to you, it's going to be hard to wrap it around your head until I, until you, like, without visual uh, accessories to help you out. So it's called Fuga Melodies of Still, F-U-G-A Melodies of Still. And what it is, it's a game that features anthropomorphic dogs and cats, and it's basically, the whole game serves as an allegory for World War II. You're a group of kids that uh, find refuge in this tank and you're trying to avoid and overcome uh, the invading forces, which are very much uh, German soldiers, right? They're called Berman, I think. Uh, Very much, like I said, an allegory for World War II. And the gameplay is interesting because the core of the gameplay is you're in this tank, and you, you travel down this line, and at each intersecting point, there's an event that happens. Most of them are like battle events or you gathering resources or gaining health. Some of them are intermissions, and I'll explain exactly what that is later. But the primary combat is it's turn-based combat. You have three cannons on your tank, and each cannon has a pair of two kids. Each kid has a specific type of attack they can do, ranging from three different colors, red, blue, and yellow. I don't really need to get into the specifics. not that important. But each of them have uh, relationships with one another you can build upon. And the more they work together, both in the tank and during the intermission thing, which I'll explain, uh, their attacks become stronger, and they can utilize link attacks, which are stronger attacks uh, as well. And every three turns, you can change the formation of these kids in the tank to either pair them up with different people or switch them individually. Like, say, uh, Bob and Steve, those aren't real character names, Bob and Steve are in the same canon location. Well, Bob does yellow attacks, Steve does blue attacks, the enemy you run into is actually weak to blue attacks, but the yellow attack guys in front, you can swap them, right? So there's a lot of strategy involved to have the right people attacking and using their abilities to like eliminate shields and stuff like that. The cool thing is, is that the intermi- intermission section of this game, it's like a 2D platformer where you talk to other members of the tank and you build relationships. And there's like events where you have to answer questions that they ask. And depending on the answer you give, determines the strength of how much stronger the relationship between them become and it's like uh level based like level one level two level three each of them have distinct personalities uh the game is all in japanese with english subtitles which is a a barrier for some people i find it quite quite quaint jesus that's a tongue twister 
quite quaint, quite quaint. Um, but yeah, it really caught me by surprise. You know, turn-based combat isn't necessarily my 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 thing, but the unique take on it, where you're like you're controlling this tank, and there's um, pathing that you have to choose to either take an easier or more difficult path. The enemy variety is really good. Uh, there's a lot of strategy involved of having to move around characters, use link attacks at the right time. Here's where the most saddening part of this whole thing comes, Dom. Normally in a video game, when, for instance, the tank is the main thing in this game, if that tank went to zero health, you'd either get a game over and have to start from a checkpoint or something would happen, right? For this game, you have a last-ditch thing called the Soul Cannon, okay? And what the Soul Cannon is, is it's a, an attack you can use when you're below 10% health that automatically wins you the match, kills everything in front of you. But it comes at the cost of you sacrificing one of the members of your tank. For each individual character with their own personality and story and relationships, and you can choose one of them to sacrifice themselves, which is a very interesting mechanic because it's like, yeah, you either manage your health and stuff and make sure you don't die, or you have to come to terms with the idea of killing one of your crewmates. Sacrificing um, little Timmy so you can win the day. Oof. Exactly. And uh, I haven't met all the characters yet, but I'm having a blast with it. It's something that I haven't played before, which we often talk about of like, you know, trying out a new game, seeing what makes it unique. A sequel to this game was already announced as a Kickstarter game. So I'm excited about that. And uh, from how long to beat, I think it's only like 10 to 15 hours long. And uh, there's a bunch of other mini games in this game of like farming and uh, going through these dungeons and collecting items. Um, obviously, it's apparent that the budget of this game isn't like tremendous, but I think for what they have, they were able to accomplish it with a very unique art style. And so far, the writing has been really good, which I think is a compliment considering, like I said, the game's totally in Japanese with subtitles, uh, but you can even feel the emotion through the Japanese voice acting as well. Um, having a blast with it. Um, we often had talked about, I mean, there's a sequel now that was announced, weirdly, Valiant Hearts 2. But Valiant Hearts is one of my favorite indie games of all time. The way that captures the emotion and loss of war, I think this very much does that as well. And I'm a sucker for anything anthropomorphic. I just like it for some reason. It's always just hooked me. So, yeah, having a blast with it. I never expected this is a game I would play. But, hey, man, what is Xbox Game Pass for if not for this? It is. I'm watching some gameplay now, and you you explained it or described it like pretty on point. Um, which maybe just the words make it sound weird, but when you see it, you're like, yeah, yeah, these are anthropomorphic little dudes and gals like driving around. I don't even know if I would say tank. It's more like a tank house. It's like giant, yeah. huge Final Fantasy ridiculous steampunk looking tanks. Um, and, and then yeah, the we we should go fight the uh the Batsis of the Germ of the Berman army. The crazy thing, Dom, is this is actually a prequel to a PS one game, which I found out as well. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. Coming. Yeah. Um I don't know, I just I I'm enjoying the characters. They all feel I mean, a lot of them are very much tropish in that there's like the large guy who loves cooking, there's like the smaller guy with glasses who enjoys like engineering. Like, it's very tropish in that way, but in, in a very heartwarming fashion. Uh, but it's sad because the main character is the guy with the, like, English hat on, and he has a younger sister. And they basically, the reason they all ended up in the tank is because the forces invaded their city, 
they all their parents basically told them to run. They ended up hiding in this tree and found this tank buried in like all the shrubbery and stuff. Dude. And it kind of there's like this whole other storyline of like this weird spirit that encompasses the tank. And there's this person that talks to you over the phone who you're not really sure who they are, but they're giving you advice and stuff. There's like a lot of layers to it. Um, but the character relationships of like why they're in this predicament, there's these two little like, I want to say like either kittens or squirrels or something. They're br- twin brothers and sisters. And their whole thing is sad because basically you end up parking in this town and they scavenge onto the tank and are just looking for food to eat because they're starving. And they you end up taking off in the tank with them and they like freak out of like what's going on and you end up coming across them and they're they just want to get back to their mom and dad and stuff and there's a lot of sad aspects of that. And you learn about the soul can like I talked about. It's like, yeah. yeah, just sacrifice one of these, you know, kids who's just trying to make their way through a terrible situation so they can help everyone else survive. Yeah, it, it's it's cool, man. I, I did not expect it to capture me the way it has. So I'm excited they- to continue it. It's not only like the anthropomorphic thing, but like, yeah, your guy's this little like mouse fox thing or whatever. But like, it's during that time period, so he's got this, you know, cute little beret with, with holes for his ears to poke through, of course. And like, <laughs> yeah. the rest of his outfit is very uh, old French looking or something or <laughs> that kind of thing. It, it's pretty, yeah. The characters are kind of adorable, and then the tank is just this monstrosity. Um, this is interesting, though. It's, this is curious. And once again, this is a game I would have never played if not for Game Pass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about that often of like, yeah, I would have never given this a chance because even if I looked at the gameplay, I'm like, I don't know if I'd like that and I don't want to risk spending money on it. But with Game Pass, I'm like, this looks interesting. I'm willing to, I'll give, I'll give any game that catches my eye 15 minutes, Dom. And this thing caught, mm-hmm. caught my eye, gave it 15 minutes. I'm like, oh no, am I in? I'm like, yeah, I'm in. So other than that, I've just been playing a bunch of random multiplayer games that I usually play. Um, trying to think if there's anything else of note. No, not really. Um, yeah, this has really just captured my attention. I've uh, I played a I played a bit more of uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Not too much though. It's been a it's been a busier week, busier couple weeks really. But um, yeah, not too much more to say on that. I'm I am getting better into it now. Um, I'm starting to surpass that kind of barrier of this is a really old game <laughs> and if the immersion's old, taking over that's cool yeah finally yeah like exactly i'm starting to actually get into it and um all that kind of like what these characters got going on uh watching Andor has actually really helped with that i've really liked that show so far because it's one very unlike any star wars anything so far which might be for worse for some people for better for others but it's um that show has started to like bring us into different places and see what else other people had going on in the star Wars universe, you know, whose names don't end with Skywalker. Um, there's some characters that are familiar, but it's, there's a lot of that going on. And so that's, that's kind of helped me get in the mood of like getting into that universe and like seeing what else exists and being more immersed in like the different places and stories and things like that. But I still, you know, a lot of game left there. And the reason though, that, I don't have much else is because I'm just, I can't explain enough how good of a show Ted Lasso is. And <laughs> you're, you're about to, you're about to have something in common with my wife who's sick of hearing me talk about it, but just makes you feel really good. And I've made the proclamation today 
rather easily that this is absolutely the best sports show that's ever existed. I struggled to find something that I wanted to say was better. Um, and in, I think it's up there in like the top five of like best sports shows and movies. Um, you know, of course, behind things like Miracle and Remember the Titans and a few others. But it just has a way of just really making you feel good. And, you know, contrasted to something like, like when we talked about The Last of Us Part Two after finishing that playing that game and you kind of feel like, yeah, that was really impactful. Um, but I think it made me feel terrible about everything, <laughs> you know, sort of <laughs> yeah. thing. Like it gives you that weird feeling where it's Ted Lasso, man, this show just makes you feel like, you know what? I'm okay. But everything's going to be okay. And man, I'm smiling because these, these foolish British guys are playing soccer and it's awesome. And Jason Sudeikis is there with his goofy mustache. and It's awesome. <laughs> That's what I can say about it. It's really cool that uh, the team and uh, AC Richmond or whatever they're called and Ted Lasso are in FIFA 23. I think it's really cool. Yes, I saw that. That's really cool. Um, I, he's so recognizable, the, the way his character looks, so it's kind of a, a no-brainer to, to put him in there. And then I was also really shocked that they had a, not a cameo, but like a, a call-out where they mentioned like, oh yeah, that team over in Wrexham just got bought by... Uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney, like in Ted Lasso, they mentioned that. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, I don't know this for sure, but I assume that the main team in the show is fictional, but they play against other real uh, English teams. Like, I know Manchester City is a real team. They're constantly playing. Yeah, they're they're a fictional Premier League team, but they play against the real Premier League teams. Yeah, at yeah. like the real stadiums and stuff, and it's pretty cool. So yeah, so yeah, it's a, it's I've learned a lot about uh, football frankly and like how i'm sure like it's not fully representative like most sports things are but i think it can at least give you an idea and it's kind of interesting to, to see like you know, learn a little bit about like that kind of culture but also that's what part of what makes the show good is obviously ted lasso is an american like american football coach who comes over and coaches and so how his how he uh, adjusts to their culture and the, the differences is, that's what makes the show cool so it's 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 cool, especially for I think it's good for Americans. Thanks for watching. Any sports yeah. fans, I'd recommend. The funny thing is, Ted Lasso has been on my backlog forever, but recently something that happened in the MCU has moved it a little bit higher up for me, wanting to watch it. Uh, you might not know this because you haven't watched the new Thor film yet, right? No. The so spoilers, real quick, for the latest Thor movie, Thor: Love and Thunder, uh, ends with the post-credit scene of uh, the reveal of Hercules. For people who wow, don't read the comic really? books, Hercules is actually a pretty prominent character in the Marvel comics. I never thought um, One of the actors from uh, Ted Lasso plays Hercules in MCU. Which one? And I haven't watched the show yet, so I can't tell you, but I remember when it happened, I was like, oh, that's cool. And the person I watched the movie with was like, yeah, he's actually a, a primary like main character in Ted Lasso. So they're like, it's cool that he's getting his big break in, in Hollywood. That guy, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so he's going to be playing Hercules, which is really cool. Because uh, I really like that that character. And from everyone I've heard that I trust, they say that he's really good at the way he acts. The character in Ted Lasso is very reminiscent of who Hercules is in the Marvel comics. It's like a really good casting. So I'm excited for that. And it has me wanting to watch Ted Lasso. 
now I'm curious. So his name is Brett Goldstein, by the way. I have it Googled. But now I'm curious um, what Hercules is like in the Marvel comics because this guy in Ted Lasso is nothing like, you know, like the animated Hercules character at all. Oh, about. no. Hercule- Hercules <laughs> in the comics is not Disney Hercules. Totally different. Okay. Yeah. He's very <laughs> much, uh, who would I compare him to? Like, oftentimes he's either like the dumb, lovable jock or he's just like the frat guy. You know what? I think, and I'm going to have to look this up too, I think we killed Hercules in like God of War 3 or something like that. Yeah, probably. I, Kratos I don't remember. That's been a yeah. while since I played those games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> hey, man, we got Fat Thor in the MCU. We're getting Fat Thor in oh, Ragnarok. Man. You love to see it. I'm so excited for Thor and in Ragnarok. Like that's cool. I love the take on Odin too. Like a smaller statured, more cerebral Odin. Very fascinating to me. Voiced by the dude from West Wing, who I always forget his name. I can't wait for that game. I'm so yeah, me too. Uh, Anything else you wanted to add? No, no, just Ted Lasso. Just believe, (laughs) believe, baby. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. This is episode 255 of the Controlled Interest Gamecast. If you can, please follow us on YouTube. Just search Controlled Interest. We'll pop it up. Subscribe so you never miss the podcast. Like the video so you help us with the algorithm. Comment. Let us know. Have you been watching Ted Lasso? If you have, or you, did you enjoy it? If not, what show are you currently watching? What's your favorite sports show, maybe? Uh, other than that, you can follow us on Twitter, collectively at CTRLINT. It's Controlled Interest, abbreviated. You can follow me individually at Jared Weich. That's my name, J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. You can follow Dom at OB Dom Kenobi, but the O in OB is the letter... Zero, not the, n- the number, number zero, yeah. not the letter. Oh, Jesus. Cross streams. Uh, oh, uh, lastly, the thing I wanted to mention, uh, Grounded 1.0 came out. So I started that oh, yeah. up. Nice. It's one of those. The one frustrating thing about playing games in beta, Dom, is that oftentimes when the full release comes out, you have to start from zero again. So the reason I didn't really talk about it is because I'm currently going through a lot of like the the fundamental steps of like setting up the world and getting the crafting going and setting up a base, which is all not super interesting. And I've already done it before. Uh, but I'm curious to see all the additions they made because the last time I stopped playing was long ago before they added a bunch of different enemy types like bees and mosquitoes and areas. And there's a lot more to explore. So I'm excited for that. I just didn't mention it. Uh, cause yeah, I'm currently in the boring part. Uh, cause I already did it. Other than that, uh, man, let's hope the, the bears and lions win this week. I know this isn't a football <laughs> podcast, but, we always got to be cheering on our teams. Um, we'll see you guys next time with episode 256, where we'll be covering Chris Pratt's voice in the Mario movie, hopefully. <laughs> Dude, imagine if they do a teaser and he's the one voice we don't hear. That'd be very interesting. That'd be a bold choice. I think if if they've learned anything from the Sonic movies, get this out there as soon as you can. So you can that fix way. what people hate. <laughs> unless unless they would in no world do that, then it doesn't matter, obviously. But if you would ever consider changing something, um, let us hear it now so that you can frantically react and make all your visual effects artists change things and work 80-hour well, weeks through the movie. The good thing with this is changing a voice in a movie, not that it's easy, nah. but it's much easier than yeah. VFX for a, a right. character in a movie. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Hopefully we have some other news to talk about. Until then, uh, believe.